The Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info, that's the website if you love Asian boxing. And if you love this podcast, that's where you have to go to listen. Scott and I are pumped. We are ready to talk about some boxing. Scott, first of all, how was your Easter? Did you get any chocolate? I got some chocolate. Not as much as I should get. Um, The love just wasn't there this year, so, you know. I know you're on a diet. Why are you on a diet? Because apparently I'm overweight and too chubby and and, breaking the bed, apparently. But you snuck some chocolate in, right, on Easter? Yeah, five cream eggs. You don't get cream eggs over there. We don't have cream eggs. We have chocolate bunnies. And we have peeps, which are horrible. I'd rather have a cream egg than a peep, because the peep possibly is the worst piece of candy ever created. Yeah, next next to yourself, I'll some cream eggs. They're just, they're brilliant. What, what exactly is it? Is it just milk chocolate? It's milk chocolate with some sort of fondant inside that looks like an egg white and egg yolk. That sounds amazing. Have you ever had a peep? I have not had a peep. Okay. Well, I'll send you a peep, you send me a cream egg, and we'll call it even. Uh, A day before Easter, we saw fights in Uzbekistan, possibly the biggest card ever in the country, and it's the right time because there is so much talent especially coming from the amateur ranks. But now they're all entering the pros. Scott, how was the card in Uzbekistan? The card was certainly an interesting card. Um, We missed two bouts that were untelevised to begin the show, and then there was a series of complete mismatches. So we saw a brilliant concert whilst tuning in for the boxing. Um, I think, to be fair, the musician in charge deserved all the time per. He was fantastic, kept the show going. As for the actual boxing, far, far too many mismatches. I understand them wanting to get a homecoming performance. Uzbekistan doesn't have a great deal of boxing held there. And getting the local guys wins is always going to be you know, the first and foremost important thing for the promoter. But it would have been, <laughs> been a bit better had the, um, the B-sides been a little bit better than they were. The singer got more work than some of the fighters that night. That's how bad the mismatches were. By the way, that singer was very good. Let's talk about the main event, though, because uh, these were two warriors. And I know even though it, it ended in somewhat of a disappointing fashion, Ryosuke Iwasa versus Murajan Akhmedaliev, uh, this was, you know, one of those fights where you saw Akhmedaliev really taking over. They wanted to see a show, and he gave them a show. Yeah, he's a special talent. I know this is only his ninth professional fight, but he is a brilliant talent. And he made Iwasa look a lot worse than Iwasa actually is. Um, I know a lot of people are perhaps going, oh, well, Iwasa wasn't very good. It's another poor mandatory from the IBF. <laughs> the reality is that Iwasa is very good. Atmedalio is just fantastic. Um, and he... He controlled the fight between his jab, his speed, his combinations. Iwasa just never got in, no got into it. Um, the stoppage was questionable. I think Yuri Kopsev is perhaps uh, is perhaps jumping in a little bit quick in this bout, but the stoppage was inevitable. Iwasa was just taking too many clean shots. I agree. Bad stoppage. And in any other fight, I think there would have been uh, a little bit more outrage. But I think because MJ was just kind of dominating this fight, 
the inevitable was going to happen. Eventually, Iwasa was going to get stopped. By the way, Iwasa, with the samurai hair, did you see that? Yeah, and the outfit is brilliant. It's just it wasn't as good. He fought like a samurai in terms of guts, in terms of toughness. He stayed in there. He took punishment. But you're right. Yeah, it was it was complete domination, especially in those fourth and fifth rounds. Akhmadalia, he's so quick in and out. And I think that's what makes him great. The in and out quickness and then that sharp jab to the body and the head. That's what really sets up that overhand left. Yeah, the speed's always been Iwasa's problem. Um, we saw it against Lee Haskins. We saw it against TJ Dehenny, and we saw it again here. Uh, he just got handle speed. And Akhmedalia was so, many, so, so much quicker. So for Iwasa, where does he go now? Is this is it time to retire? Was this his last shot? Uh, is he just going to go back to Japan and maybe have a couple more fights there and then call it call it a career? He's not announced anything yet, but I think either retirement or makes it on the Japanese domestic scene. There are a lot of really talented fighters in Japan at 122 pounds. You have Shingo Wake, Yukinori Oguni, uh, Hiroaki Teshigawara, all of whom would make brilliant, brilliant opponents for Iwasa at this point in his career. If he wants to retire, he can hang his head high and hold his head high, sorry, not hang it, and walk away from the spot. He's had a great career. If not, there's options at home. I'm not sure he's going to get another shot at the top, though. And for MJ, we know that he is probably the top dog right now at 122. The only other guy I think that could really challenge him that is a title holder at 122, and we know, we all know and love him, Luis Neri. Although, Neri, just, I, I just don't know where he is. He's here, he's there, he's not making weight. Uh, do you think Akhmedaliev tries to go and take over the rest of that division? What what does he do next? I think the most interesting fight for Akhmedaliev is actually a fight with Stephen Fulton. I think that would be brilliant. Absolutely fantastic styles. Unfortunately, yesterday the WBA ordered Akhmedaliev to face Ronnie Rios in a mandatory. And it's kind of, it's not a bad bout, not by any stretch. We'd just rather see Akhmedaliev fight Fulton or Neri. Um, yeah, Rios Akhmedaliev isn't a bad bout by any stretch. There's just, it feels underwhelming given the other options. I agree with you there with Fulton because that's another belt holder. And Akhmedaliev, why not try and become undisputed at 122? I think he has all the tools, uh, but it just seems boxing gets it in their way with these mandatories. We see it all across the weight divisions where. It stops those bouts between other fighters where they can try and collect all the belts. Instead, no, you have to defend this one. You have to defend that one. And you face some mandatory that really isn't that good. Yeah, Rios is a very good fight. Rios is you know, top 10. No argument with that. It's just that there's other options out there. Even a rematch with Daniel Roman or about with Brandon Figueroa that just feel a bit more appealing. The Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin... So we are in Uzbekistan. Now let's go to Dubai, where Donnie Nietes was back, but he didn't steal the show. He wasn't the big story of the fights in Dubai, was he? No, even in regards to Asian fights, he wasn't the big story. Uh, even though he did pick up a good win against Pablo Carrillo, he looked rusty at the beginning after more than two years out, but when he got his floor going, he looked really good. Um 
he was the clear winner, despite what one judge scored. One judge had it by 96-95. I don't know what he was watching. The big Asian talking point, however, was Tussenberg Kluckmer, who scored by one of the chaos of the year as he took out Herbert Rondon in about 50 seconds. It was a brutal knockout that saw Rondon almost do a backflip. You brought to my attention the knockout that Kulakomet made because I missed these fights. And you said, hey, go on Twitter, Kulakomet, knockout. That's all I looked up. Went to the search bar, put that in, and oh my, a devastating right hook after Rodon was just kind of coming in flailing, just trying to do anything uh, to stay in that fight. But Kulakomet ended it perfectly. It was a perfect shot. I'm, I'm not sure how Ronan got to 20-0 beforehand. He must have faced some absolutely appalling opponents. It always happens when you see these these guys from sort of Venezuela and Dominican Republic with big records, lots of wins, really questionable opponents. And yeah, you can take the mick out of Jet Pond, say he's harming boxing, but records like Rondon's are genuinely harming sport. He shouldn't be in the ring with Colt Jake Paul, on the other hand, boy, that kid is dangerous. We will not take Jake Paul's slander on this channel. Exactly, Jake Paul, at least he's fighting people who are similarly inexperienced. And hey, impressive knockouts too. Let's look up Jake Paul, Nate Robinson. Uh, Kualkomet knockout though, type that into your Twitter and you'll see one of the knockouts of the year. I don't care on, on what level it is, definitely a knockout of the year contender. Getting back to Donnie Nietes, does he have anything left in the tank to possibly make another run at a, a world title? Probably not. Um, it's not that he looks bad. He looks genuinely very good. It's just the super flyweight division right now it is just the deepest division spot at the top. There isn't a weak link at the top. Um, he wouldn't be Estrada. He wouldn't be Chocolatito. I don't think he'd be Anka Haas or Ayok in a rematch. I'm not sure he'd be Kosa Tanaka. I don't think he yeah, he beats any of the top guys, and that's a shame that he's wasted two years of his career. Only to find out that he's probably not good enough to be there. Just an incredibly deep division, the best division right now in all boxing. No one really talks about it because they're little guys. People want to talk about heavyweights and middleweights and the welterweights. But if you love boxing, go to the super flyweight division superfly you will have amazing fights to watch because all these guys are talented uh asian boxing podcast scott and colin scott let's move over to japan where today kita obara was was back in the ring um and hey obara you know he had his time over here in america just trying to make it but just wasn't able to but now he's on a little bit of a four fight winning streak yeah, he's gone back to Japan after losing to Kudratila Abdukakarov. He picked up a couple of relatively easy wins, then won the Japanese welterweight title last year in a really, really good performance against Yuki Nagano. Today, he was in the ring against Shoki Sakai, who, talking about has been over in the U.S., he fought his first 36 bouts in the U.S., Mexico. Sakai is... One of those guys who makes for fun, friendly bounce. He comes forward, high guard, pressures, and that's exactly what he did against Obara. He was in Obara's first. He just lacked that bit of class that was needed to 
take home victory here. But Obara really had to work to retain his title. The bout will be televised over this coming weekend, but reports from it are Sakai, very good effort. Obara just a little bit too good. For Obara, this probably is going to be his ceiling, just kind of staying in Japan, defending his title. He's a good fighter, but uh, not someone who can make it at the world level. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but I also think right now it's actually an interesting division in Japan. You've got Ryota Toyoshima and Yuki Beppu fighting to unify the two regional titles, the WBO Asia Pacific and OPBF titles. Obara against the winner of that there to become a Triple Crown winner. Um, you also got Jinseski, who has shown he has the ability to fight a welterweight. As a division that, given Obara is now 34, He's going to retire relatively soon anyway. Why not take on some of these young kids? Take on the likes of Yuki Beppu or uh, Ryota Toyoshima. And, you know, try and collect all the titles before you hang them up. Now, moving to this week, we have uh, a couple of big bouts going on. Let's start uh, with a title fight, actually. We were talking about Superfly and how strong that is. Jerwin Ancajas versus Jonathan Javier Rodriguez. This is another fighter who I think has a lot of promise. We really haven't gotten to see him against the best, though. I do want to see Ancajas fight better competition, but he's back in there against a tough Rodriguez. He's in there with a mandatory that was ordered in 2019. This spot is one of those long-running sagas that just for whatever reason doesn't or hasn't uh, come to fruition. They were meant to fight in 2019 and then Rodriguez failed to get a visa. They were meant to fight on the Wilder Fury rematch card and the bout didn't happen. Ancas is now joined PBC and finally, finally, after about 18 months, we'll be facing Rodriguez. Um, Franca has, yeah, you're spot on. He has so much potential. He has so much ability. He has so many defenses. Um, his nine defenses of the IBF Super Flyweight title is a record for that particular title. Yet there's not a single wow name on there since he's won the belt. In a division with so much talent, he has just, for whatever reason, failed to face a single A-class fight in the division. Why is that? I, with so much talent, wouldn't you want to go after the best? And especially at Super Flyweight, it seems these fights are a little bit easier to make than the welterweights or the heavyweights where it's, I don't want to cross the street or I don't want to do that. At super flyweight, these guys have been fighting the best. Why doesn't Ancajas go after them? Uh, one reason is the WBC merry-go-round that's had um, Shisuke in it. It's had Estrada. It's had Roman Gonzalez and Carlos Cudros. They've all just been having a little uh, fab four merry-go-round for the WBC title. You then had him with top rank just treading water for far too long. It might seem easier on paper for them to fight the bigger fights. If all the guys are off fighting for one belt, and yeah, you're the odd guy looking in. That's probably why, but still some of the competition has just been dreadful. It's just that coveted green belt. Everyone wants the green belt, but this is the problem with boxing. There's too much of the, you know, only these guys under this television umbrella can fight each other. Uh, boxing needs to get out of its its own way and just let the best fight the best. 
It does, and that doesn't really excuse the fact that he's not fought an Ioka or a Tanaka or a Nietes or a Cintron. Um, there are guys outside of the Dewey BC foursome who are available to fight, and he's just, for whatever reason, not fought any of them. It's, it's really frustrating as an Ankaz fan. A day after Ankahas's fight in the United States, we go back to Japan in Osaka, and my favorite name of all time, Thunder Teruya. He's fighting Toshiki Shimomachi. Shimomachi is just brilliant. Very few fans will have seen him. He is um, one of the best counter punches in Japan. He's slippery. He's the top fighter that can attract an American audience. He fights between featherweight and super featherweight, and he is just tricky, tricky, tricky. A fantastic young fighter. Teruya, we saw him put in a really good effort against Rentaro Kimura last year. Um, he's a live underdog, but Shinomachi is he's just so slippery. He's an eel. On that same card, we also have Jinka Maeda, who I am a huge fan of, and he'll be facing Yushi Fujita. Maeda won the Rookie of the Year in 2019, and he looks to be one of those prospects that's flying completely under the radar. On the subject of great names, um, there's somebody called Scorpion Kintaro made their debut last week, and that's, yeah, that's my new favorite name. Scorpion King? Scorpion Kintaro. Kintaro. Scorpion Kintaro. That is better than Thunder. I don't know. Thunder Teruya. I like the two T's back to back. That's tough, though. Scorpion, Kentaro, Thunder, Teruya, both just amazing names. There, there's some just stellar names coming out of Japan. Although Shimo Machi, like you said, is probably going to win this. I still, I'm rooting for Thunder. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to write, root for a guy called Thunder, but um, he's really up against it here. Because then you could say, hey, he's bringing the Thunder, or Thunder just struck. There's so many things, if you're a play-by-play guy... And you're announcing Thunder Teruya's fights. It's so easy. You know, he was hit by thunder. Struck by lightning. A lot of, a lot of ways you can go with Thunder Teruya. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin. Asianboxing.info is the website. Alright, Scott. So we, we've covered all the fights. Let's get into news and notes. Let's jump into the rumored date for Nonito Donaire. And Nordin Obali, finally, possibly, we could get this fight. Yeah, this is now being eyed for May 29th um, on Showtime. A date hasn't been, or rather, a venue hasn't been agreed, but it does look like it's going to take place at the end of May. This is another one of those massively long-running sagas of boxing, having been ordered way back in December 2019. Uh, since then, both guys have tested positive for COVID and COVID then destroyed comebacks for uh, Ubali, who's meant to fight in March. Thankfully, finally, we'll see them in the ring. Um, and bizarre, this will be the first box for either guy since November 2019, where they both fought on the same card in Japan. It was just very, very unfortunate because COVID stopped a lot of these fights that were going to happen. We know in the same division, Inoue Casimero was going to happen as well. That still hasn't uh, been rescheduled. Hopefully, we'll see it a little bit later down the line. But the Bantamweight division is strong. It's uh, filled with veteran fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and one of the superstars of the sport in Naoya Inoue. Um, so I, I hope that Donero Bali gets made, and I hope they fight, and I hope the winner 
will face Naoya Inoue. That would be great. Yeah, that'd be great. It's a great division. It's got a really good mix of the old guys, the new guys, um, emerging talent, guys who moved up in weight, guys who are making an name for themselves. Um, it's just a shame that last year was basically a write-off for the entire division. We saw Inoue once. We saw Casemiro once. We didn't see Obali. We didn't see Denaire. Um I don't think we saw Tete. It was a division that was really, really, really ruined by COVID. Speaking of the Bantamweight division, Naoya Inoue possibly going to get back in the ring. I, I think it's all but said and done. June 19th, I think, is is the date they're shooting for against Michael Das Marinas. Do you have any updates on that? No updates yet, but it will be in Las Vegas. They're not wanting to announce it until there's fans in attendance, but Inoue himself has... Uh, essentially confirmed the, the date or the past few days. It's now, I believe, seven years or seven years and two days since he first won his world title. And there was a press conference about it recently. He, he's been in lots of adverts recently as well. He's been busy outside the ring, but it does look like that June 19th date will be nailed down sooner rather than later. Yeah, he's Mr. Commercial now. He's in the Asahi commercial and the Protein commercial He's been in more commercials than he's been in fights. Proving what Bunkle Starry is. Well, I, I'm happy for him. You have to you have to do those things. Make that extra dough on the side if you're gonna get in the ring and get bopped around. Might as well make some money on that pretty face. Makes some stuff money, yeah. Don't get punched in the face to do an advert. No, but it'll be good to to get him back in the ring June nineteenth, and then Donaire and Obali on May. I know Casimiro's coming back. So the Bantamweight division, the balance will be restored very shortly. And I do understand why they want fans in the stands so they just don't lose a bunch of money because this this darn pandemic has caused a lot of that. Tomoki Kameda, one of the most fan-friendly fighters, he also has a rumored date where he can be back in the ring. Yeah, it's not even a rumored date. It is a set date. He will be in the ring on May 5th. The show beyond will be promoted by Shinsai Promotions and his brother's new gym, 315 Gym. Um, it'll be his first bout since he fought Ray Vargas again in 2019. He didn't fight at all last year because he too had a bout cancelled by COVID. <sighs> that word again. Um, and his opponent will be Hironori Miyaki, who... Uh, um, yeah, Miyaki really shouldn't be fighting Kamida. He was stopped last year by a debuting Kisuke Matsumoto, which sort of shows his level. He shouldn't be in the ring with Kamida. Just... The rumor was that every right-handed fighter in the division in Japan turned down Kamida, and he didn't want to face a southpaw, which just seems bizarre. Come on, guy. Most of the top guys in the weight class are southpaws. Go first a lefty. Kamida, if you want to be the next big thing... You're going to have to face everyone. You're not going to face some absolutely, yeah. Again, I don't want to be harsh on Miyaki, but he did just get beat by a debutant last year. It's a little disappointing because I like Kameda a lot. One, he speaks perfect Spanish. And in the boxing world, if you can do that, you're going to be a star. Japanese, Spanish, he can speak a little English. He is perfect for marketing purposes. He's a good fighter, too. But if you're not going to fight the best of the best or the top competition, then it doesn't matter how perfect you are for marketing purposes. 
you're not going to become a star. No, especially at those weight classes, the featherweight and super weight division, there's so much really good talent there. And even in Japan alone, you've got guys like Hinata Maruta there. You've got Musashi Mori, Ria Abe, Ria Sagawa, Satoshi Shimitsu. If none of these guys were available, none of these guys, Ryo Matsumoto, Takuya Mizuno, Shingo Kasano, Siyoshi Tamida, none of these guys were available, that's still not an excuse to face someone who, again, lost to a debutant in his last fight. It's also hard to believe that none of those guys are available. Oh, yeah, some of them have got fights booked, fair enough, but come on, not all of them. There's plenty of available guys there. Nihito Arakawa, the Japanese Rocky. One of my favorite fighters because every time he was in a a big fight, especially here in the United States, he just was the toughest son of a gun you've ever seen. He's opening his own gym in Japan. Yeah, he's opening the fitness and boxing gym, Japanese Rocky. Um, A weird name. I would have put Japanese Rocky at the beginning personally, but he's been working at um, Takashi Uchiyama's gym recently. It's the gym he's opening is going to be primarily a fitness gym, but it's great to see him still involved in the sport. He's wanting to use his experience to help develop the fitness of people who come to the gym. He wants to work on the sort of social and physical aspects. All the best to him. Such a nice guy, such an exciting, tough fighter. And it's fantastic that his gym opens on May 2nd. If I ever go to Japan, that would be one of the first gyms I would love to go to, just to meet him, maybe do some some training there, hit the heavy bag, and uh, I'm sure you, you learn how to be tough at Arakawa's gym, because uh, he had the heart of a champion, even though he never won any big title, he, uh, he won the hearts of the fans. He lived up to the Japanese Rocky nickname that he was given, um, just a tough, tough, tough guy. That's the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. We appreciate you. Remember, it's AsianBoxing.info. If you love the sport of boxing, you love to follow the Asian boxers around the world, that's where you have to go. It's AsianBoxing.info. You can find this podcast. You can find videos. Uh, Of course, all the different articles that Scott writes. I mean, his... Typing skills are second to none. Once a fight is announced, once a story is broken, Scott is on top of it. He goes to his typewriter, and about five minutes later, story's up on the website. That's how quick he is. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Thank you again for making us a part of your day, and we will talk to you next time.